This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. And welcome to episode 42 of the Three Lions podcast. Here we are, back in 2019. Now I know we're halfway through January, but I feel I have to say it. Happy New Year to you. Thank you for the feedback on the 2018 review. Feels such a long while ago now, doesn't it? Good to reminisce on what was a fabulous year. Thinking ahead, hopefully... The similar episode for 2019 will be looking back on a trophy one. Now, I've already been talking with various people for content for episodes this year, even as far in advance for an episode for September, October time. Now, not a great deal has happened since we last spoke. Gareth Southgate was awarded MBE and Harry Kane an OBE in the New Year's Honours list. I have to be honest, I think awards like this should be more for the public or awarded when people have retired from their role. Had we have won the World Cup, then perhaps I would be a bit more appreciating. Even Sir Alf Ramsey was awarded his knighthood a year after winning the World Cup. Jeff Hurst got his in 1988, and Bobby Moore, he only received an OBE, and that was in 1967. Now the Lionesses have gone off for some warm weather training in Qatar for some early preparation for the World Cup later in the year. Something I think we could all do with. And the England Travel Club have sent out emails advising of status of Nations League ticket applications. Then following it up with a Facebook post confirming that everyone who registered their interest in both matches have been successful in their application. Twitter, I saw, was awash with messages of people sharing their news. Although there seems to be plenty who now need to find transport to Porto. So as to how many will actually travel, we'll have to wait and see. Now, on to this episode. With no senior match until the end of March, I have a few episodes to fill. I hope you'll find this one interesting. You may remember, last year I spoke with John Devlin about the then new England shirts. Well, this time we're talking shirts again, but older ones and with a Welshman. Whoa, don't hit that stop button. Not yet. I promise you'll enjoy it. But I will give some advance warning. It does contain the sound of a snoring dog, which will become apparent. Now, I have tried my very best to reduce its impact on the interview. But what's the saying? Never work with children or animals. But bear with it, if you are a football shirt fan, there is some exciting news revealed towards the end. I'd like to welcome to the Three Lions podcast, Simon Shakeshaft, or... Shaky, I believe, as you're more commonly referred to. Yes, the only people who call me um, Simon um, are my wife or my in-laws, especially when I've been naughty for any reason. So everyone calls me Shaky. Okay, well, welcome, Shaky. And and I guess welcome, Coco, as well, who you may hear in the background <laughs> snoring away. It's yes, my little Jackawawa, um, Jack Russell, Chihuahua Cross. And um, she's good company, but she's also, I think, got sleep apnea because she snores very loudly. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining us. And first of all, you're a Welshman. I am a Welshman, yes. A proud Welshman, I and, would say, yeah. And I welcome you to the, the England podcast because you have written a few books and you have vast knowledge, I believe, on England football shirts. Yes, Um I, wouldn't, I don't know about the vast knowledge. I have a reasonable level of knowledge on England football shirts. Previous occupation, I was a physiotherapist who worked in, in professional football at the lower leagues, as it were. When I talk about lower leagues, I'm talking about Division 1 and 2 now. So the likes of Hereford and Exeter City and Shrewsbury Town. And also was an itinerant member of staff for the FA. You know, I wasn't a special agent for the FAW. I was definitely working for the FA. 
and physio used to physio on their coaching courses and, and stuff like that at Shore, especially when I was living in Shrewsbury, which is literally 20 odd miles down the road. But when I was working as a, as a physio in the lower leagues in the 90s, early 90s, right the way through, I tended to be a kit man as well. And that's sort of, apart from my childhood and loving football shirts as a kid growing up, especially Admiral shirts, then I I got this affinity with sort of thinking, I, I start collecting football shirts and they were player shirts. So when Hereford would play someone in the cup or Exeter would play someone in the cup or whatever, I we would... You know, I would try and to nab a shirt. So it's not just the players that would right. nab the shirts. The That's physio right. would get one as well. You know, when we played Shrewsbury, Shrewsbury played Everton, for instance, in the FA Cup, the famous two-one Shrewsbury win, two thousand and three. Alan Stubbs gave me a shirt after the game. Nigel Jemson got um, Wayne Rooney's shirt after the game, and we put his shirt because Jemson scored both the goals. So Jemo shirt and Wayne Rooney shirt, or one of Wayne Rooney's shirts in the game because he wore two went into a frame and they're in the boardroom, I believe, or used to be in the boardroom at Shrewsbury Town. But my own collection, then we played Chelsea in the next round and I got, I actually ended up with Emmanuel Petit's and Zola's shirt as well, which was quite a fantastic thing. But that came back to me via another route. So again, Nigel Jemson got the original from him and it came back to me from Jemson and a couple of other people who had it in between. But I had, the physio came out and gave me Petit's shirt after the game, you know, so... So the physios collect as well, and other members of staff do collect, but, but the players obviously take priority. So that's where the the shirt fascination came from. You've since written two books or been part of the, the writing team, first one being the Arsenal shirt, and more recently, just before Christmas, the Spurs shirt. Yeah. Two, and I say this as an Arsenal supporter, two fantastic Tunes is the right word. Yes. Yeah. A coffee table book, sort of 12 inch in size, just full of fantastic pictures of old football shirts through the years. They're football shirts that have been worn or prepared to be worn for players as well. They're not they're not the replica shirts. We'll probably talk about that later yeah. on. The player shirts, they're all shirts that have been that are significant to players that have been worn in games by players. And sometimes in very significant games, you know, as we talked earlier, the Arsenal book goes right back to 1927 to the cup final in 1927. And we've got a player shirt from the 1927 cup final. Mm. Just absolute, they're, they're, they're priceless treasures in the club's history. And then with Spurs, of course, there's no shirts prior to the war. So you build up this, we tap into people's collections, really. And that's what I was doing. Because I don't have a collection of Arsenal shirts. I don't have a collection of Tottenham shirts. But my co-author on the Arsenal book, James Elkin, and my co-authors on the um, Spurs book, Neville Evans and Darren Burney, both are Spurs collectors. They both collect Tottenham Hotspur shirts. James collects Arsenal shirts. So we were able to tap into those guys' collections and then pull in a few other under-the-radar collectors that had some amazing pieces. So it's, it's, it's been a fantastic journey for me because I really love the history of the shirts, not just Arsenal and Tottenham. And I'm trying to bridge the North London divide, you know, somewhere between David Bentley and, and Pat Jennings, I think. Mm-hmm. Do we mention Sol Campbell as well? No, no I think no. that was the one that's persona non <laughs> one side of North London yeah. anyway. But um, for me, it's just the history. And, you know, when you're able to hold these pieces that people have worn in significant games or... Uh, such a long time ago, you know, and some of the greats of their those clubs that you that you hold, and I, and of course I helped Steve Plant do his to help Steve out with his Wolves book, yeah, uh, which is another great book, book as yeah. well. And of course Steve will tell you that the inspiration to do the Wolves book, he got the he got the idea and he wanted to do one, but then the Arsenal book was the inspiration, and in a similar way, it was an inspiration for the Spurs book. Spurs saw the Arsenal book and went, we want one of those. Same publishers, uh, Spurs official publishers. They went, yeah, we want one of those to do it. But ultimately, they've both been so fantastically received. And it's it was a new angle on on, on the history of, of the clubs. And that's what people, I think, love so much. It's the nostalgia. It's, what's my favourite shirt? Can I find it? Yeah? Yeah. The, the Tottenham one is, is still available. Is the Arsenal one hard to come by? Um, yeah, the Arsenal one sold out in 18 months of uh, initially of its print run, and we were then 
making the decision that we thought, oh, do you know what, we'll, we'll produce a second edition because over the course of the last five years, well, the last four years, it's now been sold out for two and a half years of that. We decided that we would do a second edition and some wonderful shirts have come to the fore since the books came out. So there's going to be some great, great shirts in the second edition, which we hope to have out by the end of the year. Look forward to that. Well, as this is an England podcast, trying to look at all things England, you have a vast England collection or access to an England shirt collection, which, and you've already mentioned Neville Evans. Yeah. How do we get onto Neville and, and the England football shirts? Well, Neville's like me. Um, he's a Welshman, along with Darren Burney, who I mentioned as well as the one of the co-authors on the Spurs shirt book. They both have vast England shirt collections. Neville's collection is huge. The National Football Shirt Collection is just part of his football memorabilia collection. And he supplies or loans stuff to, to many exhibitions around the world, to many museums. There's items of Neville's stuff dotted about. But obviously he's a major contributor to the National Football Museum in Manchester. Anyone who goes there, they'll they'll see, you know, part of the Neville Evans collection. Um but Neville's National Football Collection and National Football Shirt Collection, which is a small part of the his National Football Collection, he's been collecting since the since the nineties, the early nineties, when when football memorabilia was still very much of a a new thing, mm. you know. And he got in at the right time, really. You know, he had a, a bit of a, a passion for football and wanted to protect the the heritage of the game and the artifacts of the game. Because don't forget, all collectors are just people who are, are, are keepers of the history. Because eventually, they'll be passed on to someone else and yes. hopefully keep the history. So we tend to say we own them, but we're not. We're just keepers of them. And that's how Neville views himself with his vast collection of football memorabilia, including England caps and FA Cup winners' medals and World Cup winners' medals even. And obviously, this part of his collection that is has needs to have its own it's his own discipline is, is shirts because they just are a, their own discipline. There's so much history within uh, lots of various shirts. And he, we got, we were put in contact about 15, 16 years ago. And then about 12 years ago, we got in more communication and Neville just said, would you come on board and help me out with my collection? He just said that you seem to be the guy that everyone talks about knowing a bit about football shirts. Yeah. And I said, well, I'm more than happy to do that. And obviously my passion is collecting match-worn football shirts, as, as we t- alluded to before. The ones that players wear in games, and that's what the, people love replica shirts. People collect all the different types, but the pinnacle of shirt collecting for me is, is match-worn shirts. And people... You look at a shirt and they go, oh, so-and-so wore that or, or it was worn in that game by so-and-so or, or, you know, it's just that time and place as we talked about before with regard to a football shirt is like a song. It, it's a time and a place. It's yeah. definitely specific. And you we all have those sort of memories. And football shirts evoke memories. And that's what he said to me, come on board and, and help me curate my collection. So I became the sort of curator of the National Football Shirt Collection probably 10 years ago. And then, but I didn't realise for the life of me how large this collection was. Right. Um, but within that collection of shirts, and now it stands at somewhere in the region of 28,000 football <laughs> wow. shirts. Wow. Right. The majority of those being player shirts. Yeah. Within that, the England collection that Neville has warranted its own specific part of that collection it, 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 stand, it should be standalone it, it's just that impressive yeah. so we set up a website although that website hasn't been touched for a little while there is a reason for that because people have gone away from specific websites now and everything seems to be on social media so it's it's straight away you can photograph a shirt stick it up yes. on social media <clears> and <throat> sees it yeah. you know you spend a lot of time loading things onto websites and typing up the details and so that seems to be the way everyone's gone now, and, and so, so have we. But the website is still there, and it's still, I think it has about maybe 500 shirts on it, maybe not even that many, but it has a number of shirts on there that are a vast range of shirts, you know, going back to the 30s right the way through to, to current. The last time we loaded it would have been about three years ago, so, yeah. so up until about three years ago. But, you know, there's, there's everything England-wise on there from all the major tournaments, 
1958 Peter Broadbent World Cup shirt, right the way through to 66 shirts, World Cup 1970. They're all there, you know. Then the famous Admiral years and 82 World Cup. And, and a lot of it stands in Neville buying players' collections. Right. He buys collections from players direct um, on the understanding that if they needed to, to come back and say, oh, is it possible that I can buy my collection back or can I just take a couple of pieces back for my grandkids or for my great-grandkids or whichever it is, or can the family buy something back off you from my collection? It's always there. And they're the only people that benefit, therefore, of the sale of their memorabilia is the player. So when you deal with a player direct, he's the only one who, who earns the money from the sale of his memorabilia. And because they know that Neville's not going to sell it on, because he doesn't, he just hoards them, as you can as you can see, with 28,000 shirts. But I don't, know, I don't even know the exact number of England shirts he has, but it, it's... Um, Possibly somewhere between fifteen hundred and two thousand England shirts, wow. player shirts within the collection, and within that there are, like I said, dealing with players direct. You go from the likes of Gordon Banks and and Peter Shilton and Ray Clements, and um, right the way through to the likes of Glenn Hoddle and Terry McDermott, and even up to people like Carlton Palmer and Tony Dorigo. Neville owns their collections, and that that for me. But the pleasure I get out of it is being able to meet these guys and chat to them. Some of the stories they tell you, obviously we couldn't say on here. But, um, but they and they, and they talk to you about the shirts and and they, some of them find it baffling. They think, well, these are my works clothes, and you'll suddenly think there's a value in them, you know. But they're not, they're more switched on nowadays than they I used bet, to be. Yes, but you know, you go through their collections, and for me, that's just fascinating. Piecing together the history of their of their careers you know, within their shirt collections, and especially internationally. You know, I think Carlton Palmer played 18 times for England, and I think he's got 17, representation of 17 of those 18 games he played for England. There's every single game he played, apart from one, he's got either a swap shirt or, or a shirt that he wore in the game. That is now, his timeline. Absolutely. And, and and also then you've got his, his B international appearance, you've got his under-21s. Tony Dorigo's collection was just fascinating for me because he was one of those players that he used to um, please forgive me Tony but he used to say give it to his housekeeper and she would bag it for him sometimes she would launder it yeah. and and in, in there there would be his the itinerary sheet for what was happening you know the call up he'd have his call up sheet and know, really everything little things like that the penance from the opposition when yeah. they swap the little penance because players get given penance to swap with each other yeah. little things and they would all be slotted into the and sometimes there would be shorts and socks as well and, you know, little stories like, you know, Gary Lineker asking him why Beresi wanted to swap with him after the 1993 World Cup playoff. You know, there were players. Beresi stood outside the England dressing room and Tony came up the tunnel. Actually, he'd spoken to a few people because that was his only appearance in the World Cup in yeah. 19, was the third place playoff. And Beresi's waiting outside the England dressing room and players have gone to him asked if he wanted to change. No, no. And then Tony Dorigo just kind of nodded to the instruction and he's just pulled at his shirt. And Tony Rigo's gone, you swap and exchange. Yes. So he said, so he swaps his shirt and then Brazy went in shorts. So, <laughs> so, they, so he takes his shorts down and, um, and so he said, I'm still, uh, socks. So he takes his socks off and he stood there in his shin pads, his, puts his feet back in his boots and his pants <laughs> and he's got Brazy's kit over his arm. No and he walks back in the dressing room and, and Bobby Robson's telling the lads about the, how fantastic they did and, yeah. and how disappointed they must feel. And, but what a great, Achievement and back home, everyone's loving it. And Gary Lineker's first question, with a few expletives, was, "What did Brazy want to swap with you for?" <laughs> and it's obviously the Italian connection. Yes, it's obviously Tony's heritage. There's an Italian heritage there mm. on his father's side, and um, and Brazy was aware of it, which is quite fascinating when you think of a, a great like Brazy, yeah. Franco Brazy, thinking, you know, I want to swap with Tony Dorigo because he's got a little bit of Italian blood in him. So, <laughs> yeah. as you say, they're the sort of stories that that make up this timeline of, of shirts that people are interested in and, and fascinated by. Let's move on to the the shirts as they are. They're currently manufactured by Nike, and that's gone back in time through various manufacturers. How far do we know that that's gone back, and who who do we recognise with more so? Well, obviously the famous England kit provider and a lot of people will. Well, there's probably two that stand out. 
but the one that everyone has a love affair with in England should be wearing the double diamond of Umbro. That you know, everyone says, England, why are they not wearing Umbro? They should have Umbro. Go back to Umbro now. You know, is that because Umbro are an English manufacturer? Do you think people have that? Absolutely, they are. They are an English heritage brand. Really, now they've always been the heart and soul of English football. You know, when the Premier League first started, there was over half the teams were an Umbro kit in 1992. You know, England, obviously, their greatest hour was 1966, and they were an Umbro kit in 1966. They'd also... To the naked eye, people wouldn't know that, that, That's right, because there was actually no outward branding. Well, there was. There was a stamp on the bottom of the shirt, but you wouldn't see that. Um, The first on that stamp, an Umbro stamp ever appeared on a shirt, was actually 1958. So everyone remembers Umbro, and Umbro go back to to the mid-50s with England. And prior to that, there were a couple of other uh, manufacturers called St. Blaise and Hope Brothers. And as I said to you, Hope Brothers started as a in a small factory in a, in, a, in Cambridgeshire, in a village in Cambridgeshire, and eventually developed. They were bought out by Austin Reed, and then Austin Reed were bought out by Burberry. So there's um, an irony yeah. there. The Hope Brothers used to make England shirts in the 1950s, and then and they also made Arsenal shirts, as you know. Yeah. But they now are a company that's owned by Burberry, or they now got absorbed by Burberry. So there's a there's an irony there. Interesting yeah. ironic link. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and then prior to that, St. Blaise were in the 30s were the England kit manufacturers. They're Bradford Company, textiles company in Bradford. And then obviously Umbro came on board in 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 the 50s, and then then at Bookter took it over in the early 60s. And obviously the fallout from the when England qualified for the World Cup, well, sorry, hosted the World Cup, there was negotiation going on between the FA and kit manufacturers over who would provide the track suits for the opening ceremony, the officials' kits, all those sorts of things. And Bookter said to them, yeah, they were providing England's kit in 1965. And Bookter said to them, well, why don't we, um, you have a little look at our catalogue and we'll give you 20% off the the cost price okay right and they went okay no problem and then and then of course there was a develop there was an association between umbro and adidas at the time adidas only made footwear then and footballs and bags but they didn't make kit and so umbro and adidas's relationship in the uk umbro was adidas's sole distributors of their footwear so it worked well so you had one making kit one making footwear no problem so adidas heard about the you know, you go to the FA and make an offer to, to, to try and secure the deal for the World Cup tournament in 1966. And Adidas said, go and give it them for nothing. Go and say to them, we'll give you whatever you need gratis. So Umbro were like, whoa, taking her back. And Adidas said, no, do it. Well, Adidas, obviously, you can see the branding on a boot. Yeah. But there was no branding on the kit, as you said. Well, there was, but that's quite secretive, really. And, and so... Of course, the FA went, yeah, well, that's brilliant. Of course, we'll, we'll accept that. Bite your hand off. Yeah. And then, therefore, in 1965, the relationship with Umbro began again. And then it had an unbroken run for the next nine nine years to 1974. And then the other one, the memorable one that came in, of course, was Admiral. And they came along with what um, really changed the landscape in 1974 with England. They'd previously been involved with Leeds and of course Don Revy was manager of Leeds and then within six months of, of them getting involved with Admiral he became England manager and suddenly the offer was he wanted to freshen things up what well, Brian Clough called that first England kit set of pyjamas but <laughs> but it's still a very very nostalgic kit yeah. people still go back and love that kit the only shame of it was England didn't qualify for a World Cup wearing it um, but then obviously the next Admiral kit was is probably considered one of the, or if not the best England football shirt ever by by a lot of people, um, the nineteen eighty eighty to eighty three kit, which was famously worn in in the nineteen eighty two World Cup in Spain. Now this which is was, the the one which was a white body with a blue and red panels panels across, across the, the top. The top come shoulders, yeah, which is what was the top of the chest. remembered. But of course, it gets criticised even by I think well, the first time it was worn was in the international against. Argentina, when England, um, <laughs> sorry, Coco, when England um, famously beat Argentina three-one at Wembley, it was the first time it was worn. And I think even Barry Davis in commentary said England are wearing their new kit tonight for the first time. But for, for the life of me, I don't understand why 
the England kit has to be in the colours of the Union flag, not the Cross of St George. Yeah. But you've got to remember that even when England went to the Euros in 1988, the players' passes still had GDB, sorry, GBR written on them, as okay. in Great Britain. Right, yeah. Right, and they still used the Union flag. There was no Cross of St George. I think the Cross of St George flag really took prominence in 1996. The European Championships here, That's yes. when it became, when England fans started to realise that there's, we can be, you know, nationalists, we, we can be English and be proud of our flag and, you know, instead of, instead of, you know, using the Union Jack. But Barry Davis was making the point in, in 1982 that why does it have to be that? And it still surprised him. But to the majority of people, it didn't matter. It still was very English looking those colours are related to England yeah. because actually a lot of the world, the United Kingdom is England, you know? Mm. The Americans go, oh, you live in England? No, actually I'm Welsh, but, you know, oh, well, was that attached to England? You know, it's one of those. <laughs> yeah, so so Admiral were, you know, obviously they're a very nostalgic brand, you know, again, we mentioned that word nostalgia because that's what football shirts evoke, the nostalgia, yeah. the memories. And and England being, being with Umbro originally and then Admiral, they're two brands that everyone associates with the England national football team. And then, of course, when Admiral had their financial difficulties, England took the contract back on in 1984. And then they had an unbroken run all the way up until Nike took it over in 2013. I think was. it was, yeah. yeah. But, of course, Nike had previously then bought Umbro, the brand Umbro, um, in, I think, 2008, something like that. So um, there was always a bit of a transitional... Yeah, phase going on, and then so of course they, it was Umbro that produced the the fantastic two thousand and nine ten England kit that had a disastrous World Cup um, in South Africa, but but that home kit, you know, a lot of people said, oh, that's so it's a polo shirt with a badge on it, but it was just so much more than that for me, it, and and an international shirt shouldn't be fiddled with too much, you know, Umbro had gone from the bells and whistles and the flags and the and the little splashes of red here and yeah. you know you don't need that on an international football shirt a lot of a lot of people will go oh the, the 1970 shirts are boring before Admiral came along they're boring no they're not they're absolute classic you can't get more simplistic than a plain white shirt and then it all becomes about that badge yeah and what do we associate more than anything else with our with supporting our football team whether it's our club or its country the stadium Wembley Stadium the home of English football that's what it's called that's what you always associate with England internationals you know, the crest, the three lions crest, that says it all, doesn't it? You know, everyone calls it the three lions and it's it's a proud thing. And then, of course, the white shirt, crisp white shirt, that's what it should be. And that's where you shouldn't mess with, with those sorts of things that are so intrinsic into the into the fabric of the, of, of the nation's football team, you know? And there are shirts now where you can just see those little detail they put in the, the St. George's cross woven within to the show or little yeah. tabs within it just to give it that little bit of identity but coming into or you've welcomed me into your house which i thank you for and it's it's almost like coming into narnia if i'll be honest <laughs> this is what it's like because the wardrobe's just over there yeah. <laughs> there are some shirts that you've got here which hopefully i'll take a couple of photos of and and maybe share when this podcast comes out that there are differences between a shirt that I can go and buy in JD Sports or whatever and the shirts that are are given out to players to actually physically wear on the pitch. If you've got some here from the from the World Cup just gone, if I pick this shirt up here, which if I can describe is the White Home shirt, number two on it, England Crest, three lions. Beneath that says Panama, 24th of June, 2018. And on the reverse is Walker and his large number two on the back. Obviously, it's got the, the, the Nike swoosh as well, which just to even have in my hands is, is fabulous. What is the difference between this particular shirt? Obviously, this has been worn by Carl Walker and... If I was to pick it up in JD Sports, other sports shops are available. What um, what is the difference between them? You see that there's certain manufacturers 
for certain clubs and countries will produce bespoke shirts. As I say, the specification for the shirt is so different to what you would buy, as you said, in in um, in a shop. You know what you can go and buy in JD Sports. Now, there's a lot of there's a number of differences, and it depends on the style of shirt that the differences. Because with Umbro, towards the in the 2000s, early 2000s, there didn't seem to be that much difference between the player shirts and what and what you could buy in the shop. Now with Nike, it's very very different. You know, there are the most important thing is the technology within the shirt. The actual fabric itself is so different to what you would buy, um, what you would what you buy in the shop because it's it's made for performance. It's to enhance performance. And I think the first thing you said when you picked this up was how light it is mm. compared to, to the replicas. So light. But little things that are for, for players' comfort, and we're going to talk about a couple of shirts later on yeah. that, that, that you've got there that are older shirts. With England, it always used to be the replica shirts always had the embossed crest on them, for instance. Well, now the England Three Lions crest is a similar, it's a heat-pressed-on crest onto the players' shirts. So, and it's extremely light. And the material is... A little bit more stretchy, yeah, because um, players seem to like it tight these days. There's little perforations within the material on the player shirts that you just don't get on the replicas. That are therefore, you know, that the studies go into where's the most where's the most common place players sweat when they're playing, and down the back and across your shoulders, believe it or not, apart from under your arms, obviously, mm. is one of the most common common areas. So a lot of shirts these days for players have perforated backs on them. Right. Okay. And when the, the shirt in 2009 we mentioned previously, the numbers on the back even had holes within them. They were heat, they were heat pressed on the outside only. So it was a piece of material that you could pull up off the shirt. That Those perforations still did what the shirt did underneath. So the perforations, these shirts, the wicking effect they have is that they absorb the sweat off the body they, they bring it to the outside of the shirt and it evaporates quicker. Right. So the shirt, you know, because obviously a player shirt is very, it's heavier at the end of the game than it is when he starts the game in a fresh shirt because obviously it's, it's become saturated. But they try and reduce that amount of saturation by trying to make it, you know, the wicking effect work on the, on the material, the perforations in the shirts, those sorts of things. It's just that generally you can tell sometimes whether player shirts are made in a different country to where the replica shirts are mass-produced, as it were, because they have to be more bespoke, bespoke for the players. But little things for comfort, sealed seams, and, you know, they used to call them heat-bonded and things right. like that. They're sealed seams. And, of course, other things that you can't buy, or you shouldn't be able to buy, but nowadays everything's available on eBay, I think, mm-hmm. but the match details, you know, the, the actual print for the detail that goes underneath the crest of the player shirts. This one obviously says Panama, 24 June 2018. You can't buy that, you know, or you shouldn't be able to buy that. Same as the badges on the on the sleeves, which is a, obviously a more recent phenomenon. Yeah. You know, the Premier League came in, Football League introduced them in 1990, then the Premier League introduced their own brand, and then, of course, major leagues around Europe started to introduce them. I think Serie A was 96 or something. But now in international tournaments, they started to put on, you know, sleeve badges, or, you know, 2002 England, South Korea and um, Japan, they had embroidered logo on the one sleeve. Nowadays, they're, they're again, they're specific throughout qualifying tournaments. I think 2004 to 2006 for the 2006 World Cup yeah. was the first time you had a qualifying sleeve badge was worn. And But now there's so much, you know, these even these things are light and shiny. Yeah. But now they don't just have them on the right sleeve as they used to have. So this says Russia 2018 FIFA World Cup and the and the World Cup emblem of the tournament, uh, logo of the tournament. You've also now got, you know, living football FIFA or they had fair play badges in the past on the other sleeve. And in UEFA, you have the respect badge and then you have a, another badge on, on there from a campaign that they're running about, yeah. you know, different things. And of course, the introduction of players' names to shirts internationally. You know, England didn't have names on shirts until 2002 but everyone 2002 or 2002 sorry sorry for the um for regular games right for tournaments it was 1992 1992 was that they had front numbers that's first right. time. yeah yes but the england youth team had actually won them in 1991 
Huh? In a tournament, yes. They wore front numbers. But England had front numbers for, for Euro 92 and names. And then, of course, they put names on without front numbers on for the US Cup in 93. And then that, that became a stable thing. And then, of course, match details were put onto player shirts. I think match details first appeared embroidered back onto shirts for the Greece game, I think, at Old Trafford. I believe that was the first time. But somebody will correct me if I'm wrong, I'm sure. Um, but then, that, you know, and then names were put back on. And it was commercially, names on shirts are fantastic. You always associate number eight with England as Frank Lampard or or number four as Stephen Gerrard or number 10 as Wayne Rooney or yeah. whatever. And that, that becomes important because the reason they're there is it's a, it's a revenue stream for the associations or the clubs. You know, squad numbers are a great thing. So yeah, so the, the so for general games, two thousand and one was the first time England put match details and names on shirts, because England famously have always worn one to eleven in yes. games. Okay, but now obviously in tournaments that changes because of the, the squad. Yeah. But previously to that, in every other competitive game or qualifying game for tournaments, games outside of tournaments, technically friendlies, whatever. Yeah. They always had one to eleven as a starting team. That's always been a that's a tradition thing with England. I don't think it happens so much now, but particularly with sometimes it's late replacements can can affect that. But in yeah. tournaments, it's obviously totally different because you use squad numbers. But England have all traditionally always worn one to eleven, mm-hmm. and they've stuck with that. Kevin Keegan always had seven. Yeah, and England played in the World Cup in nineteen eighty two. The num the the squad was numbered alphabetically. Right. So you've got, I'm trying to think of a player that wore a low number. Trevor Brookin wore number three. But the only player that didn't, wasn't alphabetical, was Kevin Keegan. He had seven. Um, we only saw him for 20 minutes, I think, in the whole tournament, didn't we? But yep. he had seven because that was the, non, the number that he was that he wanted. He was England captain, etc. He He had that choice. But then even the goalkeepers were numbered alphabetically. One, 13 and 22 were the England were in with the goalkeeper's numbers, and it went Clements, Corrigan, Shilton. So Shilton played all the games, but wearing number 22. Right. Because that was alphabetical. Yeah, yeah. So, oh. so you have some really strange ones. Robson was 16, famously, because obviously he scored after 27 seconds, yeah. or whatever it was. The shirts themselves are different, very different. And I think you can buy a, a stadium or, or a player's version of these shirts, but they're obviously retail. A lot more expensive. It seems to be the it seems to be the the press attach themselves to the hundred pound shirt rather than the standard sixty pound yeah. shirt. I can't believe that England, the FA, think oh. it's and Nike think it's acceptable to charge fans a hundred pound per shirt. But there's a limited number of those available, and only a limited number of people are going to go and spend hundred pound yes. on a shirt. And you and it'll be generally a shirt collector that might buy it, or somebody who wants to go and spend that money for the comfort. That these yep. shirts, because they are so different. Yeah. So the modern day shirts, there's an awful lot of money spent by the manufacturers, by the technical partners, as they're called now, on the technology in the shirts, and they make them lighter and lighter and lighter. Yeah. You know. So. Well, let's let's go back through this this little pile too. I mean, we've got here from from the World Cup. We've got a Colombia one, a Belgium third and fourth, a Croatia semi final. Um, the Sweden game and the, the Tunisia, the opening game. But we can go back even further. This is really like an, an Aladdin's cave. To We mentioned Umbro earlier. And we're going back, what are we now? 2019, which makes this 29 years old. A piece of 29-year-old history in my hand. Picture yourself in Italy in 1990. And we mentioned about the, the match detailing because this shirt is an umbro white shirt and beneath the the three lions crest is FIFA World Cup Italy 90. It's a famous looking shirt and the reverse is a big nice red number 17. What do we know about this one and what's the differences between to me this I've got a replica of this shirt and it feels exactly the same, bar one or two differences. Well, obviously, um, we said about the World Cup. This, the reason this one was pulled out was because, obviously, 
we've just looked at a World Cup 2018 shirt. Yep. Got to the semi-final. This was the last time prior to that that England got to a semi-final. And again, for people of a certain age, Italian 90, this might have been a poor tournament overall. But for English fans, it was the um, the pinnacle. You know, it was the first time yeah. since 66 we'd got to a, fi- a semi-final. Um that run to the final. You look at that. You look at this particular style of shirt, and everyone who's listening to this will, rem- of a certain age, will remember that shirt. This, this is me. This is you know being a twelve-year-old. Um, when we talked about evoking memories, you look at that shirt. Who do you think of? And automatically, and there were a lot of England players at that time. And we've just you've got we've got a, a famous player from that tournament shirt in our hand. But who's the person who stands out for you from that tournament? It is Gaza, isn't Absolutely. it? Gaza and his tears. And you, look at, you look at that shirt and it evokes a memory of Paul Gascoigne in tears. and the, But not just his tears, but the whole tournament that Gaza had. Yeah. You know, he was just the standout pride of the nation at that time. Everyone thinks back to last summer and, and how the nation got. But this was the same. 22, was it 23 million people watched the World Cup semi-final against West Germany. Wow. You know, yeah. I think it's only uh, Lady Diana's and Prince Charles's wedding had more people in that have ever watched a, a, a you know a live television event. But this this shirt is different to the replicas in the way that we talked about the the badges now on the on the recent shirts is a uh, a rubberized heat applied crest for comfort for the players. We talked about comfort for the players. These badges, the replicas, were embossed. Yes, so they were plastic embossed badges stuck on and sometimes they fell off didn't they yeah um cracked and yeah. yeah well the player shirts were different in the sense that they were embroidered so the so the badges were embroidered through the material so the three lines crest is embroidered into the material so it goes right the way through the shirt and then of course that was a limited edition replica shirt of this wasn't it with yes. this with the fifa world cup italy 90 and the umbro logo on the other side the double diamond logo on the other side is Embroidered as well, obviously sort of stitched into. And it, then isn't it? The, the fascinating thing about the numbers on the back, and they're, they're actually flock numbers. And people always think these are just heat applied um, stencils that are, you know, they're on a piece of plastic, transparent plastic, and they're just put onto a, the back of the shirt and then heat yes. applied. The the flock process is actually so much more technical than that. Okay, and what they do is they. Because somebody who ever owns an England shirt from this period, and this I'm talking about going back through the 80s as well, the same principle applied under Umbro, the flock application of the numbers on the back. They would put a stencil down in that shape because obviously it's got an outline yes. around the number. And they would put a stencil down and then they would put glue onto the back of the shirt, right? A thin layer of glue. And then the flocking process is applied by blowing this flock material across the top of the glue. And then they take the stencil away, and that's what it leaves behind. So it's not a heat pressed number like everybody thinks. But when you, when it isn't cared for over time, the numbers tend to fade and crack, and and the flock is removed off the back. So you'll see some of the England shirts from players that look like they the numbers look like they're painted because it's a lot more coarse. Right. But what's happened is the flock's been removed, and all that's left behind is the glue that's I been colourised by the by the flock. So there, so that's what you. So that's a damaged number, as, yeah. it, as it were. But it's still there because these things, the glue won't ever come off the shirt. But the but the flock does. But this is famously a number seventeen. David Platt didn't actually wear this, as we talked about. He was a substitute in the earlier games, and um, it came from one of England's earlier games, where he um, was an unused sub and he swapped with a with a player from the opposition. So this sat on the bench. David Platt wore this underneath his tracksuit. Yeah. Whilst waiting potentially to come on, and, which he um, didn't do. But then, of course, he starts players. That when you talk to players about their careers, there'll be players that have played twenty times for England, but they've also had ten substitute appearances or non appearances as substitute. Yes. So for those games, he'll still have a shirt. He'll still have two shirts. So David Platt, after the end of the game, exchanged his shirt with a, a player from the opposition who was also an unused sub in that game. By the way, and so he so he still got one of his own shirts, and he still got a, a swap shirt from the game. And Tony Dorigo, as I mentioned him earlier, Tony Dorigo from the World Cup in 1990 has an opposition swap from every team they played, with the exception of one, and that was when 
Gaza's underpants were left in the middle of the room and the dressing room needed to be cleared mm. after a certain game and incident, if you remember. Oh, yeah. but, um, and, um, but he's got an opposition swap from all those games. They might not get on the pitch. They still have a shirt. They won't get a cap, obviously, but they'll still have a shirt. They've got a memento of the game. And this is the situation with David Platt. But the reason I love this David Platt shirt is because of what it symbolised about 1990. David Platt was a significant, one particularly significant moment in that World Cup. And everyone remembers that. You know, again, it was Gaza was the assist, I think. Yes, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and this shirt itself is going to the National Football Museum in Manchester next week to go into a display. So this shirt is leaving Neville's collection, going up to Manchester to go on display in the National Football Museum. So I might add that, that all these shirts are part of Neville's collection. Yes, all the England shirts. Yeah, I do have a couple of England shirts in my own personal collection. But they've been given to me by by lads that I've that I've worked with in football or know very well. Yeah. All the other England shirts that we talk about are um, player shirts from the Neville Evans collection. Well, I think we've seen David Platt. So we've we've seen who did we see? We saw Kyle Walker. Kyle Walker. David Platt, and we'll move on to the last one here that, I mean, I could sit and speak to you for ages about all of these, but this one we'll, we'll finish with, if I could just describe it, it's simply, I say simply in the, <laughs> the loosest term, as it were, it's, it's a pure red long-sleeved shirt with a round neck with just a stitched three lions badge on it, it feels beautiful. It feels, and you mentioned pajamas earlier. It almost feels like those pajamas I had when I was a child, lovely and warm. And on the back is a lovely white, pure stitched number six. And it obviously it evokes memories of a, a summer of 1966. Not actually from 1966, as as you're going to to maybe explain to me, but this is an England shirt as worn by Bobby Moore that almost takes us back, not to the beginning, but to where where supporters will recognise shirts. You know, an Englishman would get a passion for his country's football team, would get a little bit of a flutter when you see a shirt like this. I'm almost when shaking. Put, I am shaking. When you, when you put... Um, a shirt like this in your hand. That's what I'm trying to say. When you go, when when I've been fortunate enough to be in the position I've been to handle some of the the unbelievable shirts within Neville's collection, and this is one, 100% cotton England crew neck long sleeve, plain red shirt. And but there's nothing nice of it. It's just simple. The simplicity itself, crisp, clean. Mm. It's just. And then of course it has that iconic number on the back. You know that cloth stitched applied number six on the back in. In white. If ever a shirt didn't need a name. That's right, exactly. And and that's the thing about, again, we're right back to looking at that shirt and automatically it evokes a memory. It, it makes, put it in your hand and it feels special. Yeah. And that's the thing that I love about football shirts. And and it's different to what we've gone through. We've gone through, we've gone backwards in time yeah. to where we are now with the technology. Then we've gone into the 96, uh, sorry, 1990 when we talk about the the differences with the player shirts to now, and then this one goes back even further. They were all cotton. They also could get quite heavy, but the feel on the skin would be quite nice, you know. Yeah. But then, but they would get heavy because they would sweat, and and there was nowhere for the for the moisture to go. But the three lions badge is stitched onto the sh- outside of the shirt. You know, there's no possibility of chafing with like there is in 1990 because yeah. the the Presses embroidered through the shirt. This one is stitched onto the shirt, and it's exactly the same style of shirt that England or Bobby Moore would have even worn when he lifted the trophy in '66. Apart from the collar label, and the collar label tells you so much more in what I do with looking at the football shirt. The collar label has all the hidden secrets of a lot of shirts that you don't see generally. You wouldn't see. You can't, you can't look at a photograph and go, "Oh, that collar label," because you can't see the collar label. Yeah, and of course, the England collar labels. For the 66 World Cup were very specific. They only ever wore that collar label in that the red shirt in two games. So this one was from 1967. And, and we also know that the Umbro 
label tells us it's an Aztec jersey. That was the name of the, the style of shirt that England wore in 66. It's an Aztec jersey, which is stitched under the top of the swing collar label. But then underneath it, it says worn by the winners, World Cup winners 1966, made in England. And so that tells you it can't be from 1966 because yes. it's telling you that they're yeah. World Cup winners. <clears throat> made from a, a material called Tangaroo, which was um, which is a, a specific cotton material that was unique to Umbro. I mean, like you say, it, it's just the whole history that you hold in your hand yeah. that you know that one of England's greatest ever has worn this in a game and you're holding it in your hand. And you just get a different feel. You can look at it, but when you put it in your hand, it just gives you so much more of a different feel. And through curating Neville Evans's collection, I've been fortunate enough to to hold shirts of this quality in my hand. And and it's just for me as a total and utter shirt anorak. It's just the pinnacle. You know, I mean, obviously, I might prefer to be holding a John Toshak Wales Admiral shirt, really and truthfully. No, but I, you've got to appreciate. Oh, yeah the person who wore it and the, the shirt itself. And like I say, all these little things like the collar labels to somebody like me are quite, you know, quite significant because I just love the history of shirts. Yeah. But like I said to you, <clears throat> on the bottom of the hem on Humber shirts at the time, there would have been a stamp. But on this shirt, because they were tended to be um, worn and then laundered, the stamp used to come off. Uh, but so it, it used to be in navy blue, sometimes on the red shirt, used to be in, in um, yellow on and blue on the on the home shirts and there was no consistency with the stamps they were just there it was the first outward branding you'd ever see on an england shirt obviously the first time a double diamond appeared on an england shirt on the chest was a goalkeeper shirt in 1971 with england and then admiral changed the whole landscape in 1974 by sticking their their bold logos on the england shirt which upset traditionists at the time but the there would have been a stamp on this shirt but as it's been laundered after it's been that's just washed out. Yeah. Then it's no longer there. But they would be upside down. They'd be over the hem. They'd be on the back. They'd be on the front. But it's always down yeah. the bottom, right-hand side of the shirt. Amazing. These, obviously, they're in Neville's collection. And it's amazing that they are. They're there for everyone to see. If they go Where, to the National Football Museum. If they go to the yeah. National Football Museum. There's I'm, some on display there. Um, there's always a, you know, for somebody like me, I, I think that, a place like the National Football Museum, this is just a personal opinion, should have a specific room that is just football shirt. Neville's got them all. You know, he's got 25 England Admiral shirts from 1980 to 83. He's got, you know, a number of, probably a few more from 1974 to 1980 Admiral shirts. He's got shirts from 1966. He's got shirts from... 1958, 1950s. He's got all the greats within his collection. He's got yeah. Matthews. He's got Lofthouse. He's got Finney. He's got Robson. He's got Hayes. All those greats. Then he's got Charlton. He's got Moore. And he's got those sorts of players all the way through. The 1970 World Cup, Hurst and, and those sorts of players. Even the likes of, like I said to you, Tony Curry and those sorts of players from the 70s, the Mercurial players. And right the way through to, to David Beckham, one of the most recent purchases was buying from a player from a uh, an opposition country, and in there was it was a David Beckham match one oh. shirt, and David Beckham match one England shirts just don't come up very often because people treasure them yeah. because of Too his iconic status. So this player obviously drove a hard bargain trying to do the deal on it, but you know that was secured along with a lot of his other shirts from his international career, and there was there was some greats in there as well, you know Pires France and. And Edgar Davids Holland and yeah. those things, but there was the, the stand, he had a Rooney England shirt as well. But the standout was obviously the David Beckham England shirt. So there are England Rooney shirts and Beckham shirts, and but people have got to understand that these shirts, there's only two of them for every game. They're unique to the players. You'll see a number of other shirts out there that are very very similar, if not almost the same as the England shirts that the players will wear. But they're they're produced with the for to be signed and, and yeah. to be given to charities and given to family and friends as gifts and to donate to charity to raise money. And they're all signed by players. And you see a lot of the officials with England, you know, Gary Lewin, I know you've had on Gary Lewin's collection. He has a number of shirts given to him by players, but he also has a number of other shirts that have been squad signed that he's given away to charity in the past. And that staff members gen generally have, you know, from the chef right the way through to the first team coach, they'll have shirts, but they'll all be signed and and sometimes personalized, personalized yeah. you know, 
Gary's got Stephen Gerrard, he's got Wayne Rooney, he's got David Beckham. They've all got two Gary, thanks for all your help, best wishes, etc. But they're all personalised to Gary. But the actual match shirts that England players have is just two. They have them hung on the peg and that's it. You know, there's not this mass number of shirts that each player is allowed to have for each game because they've got to keep them personal and unique to the players for that game because they're representing their country. You can't have hundreds of these shirts out there. You know, they've got to be treasured and cherished because of the pinnacle you're at representing your country. Well, if we can take it back to the beginning of the conversation and remind ourselves of the, the Arsenal shirt and the Tottenham shirt, how could you elaborate on that, if you could? <laughs> Off the back of the, the production of these books, as, as we talked about earlier, there are other books going to come. And at this current time, the three authors of the Tottenham, of the Spurs shirt book, Neville, Evans, Darren Burney and myself, are in discussion with the publishers and to work with the FA on a collaboration to produce an England shirt book. Wow. And we're hoping that that will be rubber-stamped by the FA in the very, very near future. So the production of the book will be, hopefully, um, in the shops at the end of this year. If not, it'll be hopefully ready for the Euros. Of course, if you can qualify. He <laughs> um, says through gritted teeth as a Welshman. <laughs> Don't England always have easy grit? Well, that is the way, yes. That's, well, that is fabulous news that there is the possibility of something very similar to the Arsenal and the Tottenham book and to see them all in their glory on mannequins in glossy colour with additional details of how it all came around. Well, obviously, the person, I'd just like to say that the person obviously putting the foundations in place now for the book because obviously the FA are keen to do this and we want to work with them to be done. Glenn Easywood from... England Football Online. Yeah, he's a very much a stat man. He's a he's an author himself. He's written two books on Wembley and you know, FA Cup finals and the history, the the statistics from Wembley Stadium records. Glenn's going to come on and work with me on on writing the England shirt book, which is fantastic. Shaky, thank you very much for a uh, for a wonderful morning talking football shirts, England football shirts, evoking memories. I've really enjoyed it and. And please stay in touch. As and when the book happens, let's say, you know, we'll, we'll be hopefully be able to do something about the, letting everybody know what the book entails. And there will be hopefully an exclusive that, um, with the England shirt book that I think will will surprise people, let's just say. There's Look a shirt that we've got, uh, got lined up for that. Wow. Well, just to, to again round it up, if, if anyone wants to talk, Football, football shirts with yourself? Are you, you're open to that, are you? You can contact me on social media via Twitter. I'm at ShakyMatchWarn on Twitter as my personal account. But I also look at sometimes look after Neville's account, which is at Shirt Collection, the National Football Shirt Collections. And, of course, I do have access to the Spurs shirt account and the Arsenal shirt account. But I try and keep that quiet because I don't want to start a riot in North London. We'll keep that quiet. (laughs) But, But once again, thank you very much for your time this morning. Thank you, Russell, for coming. There we have it. Thank you very much for Simon Shaky Shakeshaft for his time on this podcast. As he mentioned... He can be found on Twitter, and I'll put a link to that and the Neville Evans England shirt collection on our Facebook and Twitter pages. And with the news that there is an England football shirt book in the process, I find that very exciting. With a special shirt to be revealed at a later date, which even Shaky wouldn't let me in on. So I'm left scratching my head. But we'll hear from him in due course, and hopefully a little less from Coco the dog. I hope it didn't distract too much. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. Something a little different whilst we wait for the games to come around. As before, please do spread the word, like, subscribe and review at your usual podcast download place would be most appreciated. You can find us on Twitter at 3 Lions Podcast. Search also on Facebook. We're on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud and also at www. 3 lionspodcast.com
I'll speak to you again soon. Cheers. <laughs>